morning, everybody. Welcome to Pearlside. If you're joining with us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. Uh, you're not here by accident, amen. Uh, God has a plan and a purpose for all of our lives, and we're excited to walk that out together. Easter, as, as you heard, is next week. It's right around the corner, a little early this year, and it is the most important day in the Christian calendar because it's the day that Jesus proved that he was who he said he was and that what he said is true. That salvation and forgiveness of sins is available to anyone who repents and believes in him. And when he came out of that grave, he's like, see, I told you, right? See, I am who I said I am. And therefore, we can trust in him and trust in his word. And, you know, Easter is also one of the times uh, of the year that people are most open to the gospel. There's one study that found that 7 out of 10 people would come to church if they were personally invited by a friend or a loved one. Think about that. That's, that's a pretty good odd, 7 out of 10. If you get those odds in Vegas, man, go all in because that's, that's, that's good odds, okay? And so if there was ever a moment to go all in with our friends and our loved ones, it's this week leading up to Easter that they would come and encounter the word of God this week and, and a testimony really of a miracle that will, I believe, change people's lives. And so I want to encourage you, this isn't just post on social media, while well, that's all fine, it's that personal invitation. It's that, hey, I'm saving you a seat. Let's go together. I'll pick you up or we'll get breakfast before or after or whatever. And I believe God's going to do some, something eternal in someone's heart this week. This weekend, can I hear an amen to that? So I want you to think even right now, who is that person that God has placed in your life that he's calling us to personally invite? I got somebody that I'm going to personally invite and I hope that, that you all do as well because I want to make an eternal difference in someone's life. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. So uh, we're excited about Easter and therefore what, we want, what we're doing, as you've heard over the last few weeks, is we're creating space uh, for people to experience the presence of God. And so we added uh, Easter sunrise service at 630. Uh, we did a show of hands at the earlier service. How many of you are coming? I think all of them are coming. So is anyone coming to 830? Uh, anyway, um, but we're also going to have an 830 service, a 1030 service. And just by a show of hands here at 915, how many of you are thinking about coming to 830 service next week? Okay, all right, that's a good amount. How about 10.30? All right, okay, seems about split. That's good. All right, amen. So, you know, the reason why we're doing that is we want to make sure that there's enough room and that our guests, when we invite them, have a good experience in church. How many think that's a good idea? And so we're, we're excited about uh, uh, doing that. And so uh, just one other, other thing related to that is we're going to be making space by at the, nine, at the 8.30 and 10.30 service next week, ushering us into seats so we can fill every seat so we make sure that there's room for our friends and our family that are coming in. So thank you in advance for that. And I just want to thank all of our serve teams. Can we give a hand to all of our serve teams? Because, man, they make it possible. For us to have church, to worship God, and they're going to they're gonna be uh, working extra hard next week. And so I just want to thank you all in advance. And if you're thinking about joining a serve team, it's a great opportunity to do that. I was just sharing with the earlier service. I remember one Easter, uh, I was a part of the setup team um, way back. I think I was in college. And, and someone had the bright idea of sleeping over in the parking lot because we had to be there really early to set up. I think it was like a 5 a.m. setup or something like that. So one of my friends was like, let's just sleep in the parking lot and then we'll be there, you know, and we'll make sure that each other get up. Horrible idea. I wish I did not listen to them. Because, you know, you have that moment where you're at past the point of no return. You know what I mean? It's like 2 a.m. You're like, should I just go home? But like, if I go home, I'm only getting an hour of sleep. And I gotta come. Ah, it was just a bad idea. Anyway, thank you in advance. We appreciate you guys. You guys are amazing. So, amen. Well, we are continuing our series, as you heard, Blessed. And one of the reasons why we're in this series is we believe God is pouring out his spirit in different places around the country. Starting with the Asbury revival that you've all heard about. And then different revivals that are breaking out around the country. God is doing something to awaken his church. 
And one of the hallmarks of historic revival is a resurgence of what some historians call radical obedience or an alignment to God's word. How many of you know that the values of this world and the culture of this world does not align with God's word? Amen. And when God breathes his spirit, he's looking for his church to come to a place of radical obedience where we read his word, we believe his word, and we put his word to work in our lives. It's radical because it goes against the culture very many times. But when we align our lives with God's word, we experience God's blessing. Because what Jesus did when he taught what he taught was he was bringing the values of the kingdom of God to earth. And he's saying, this is how I created humanity to thrive. This is how I created you to experience my blessing. And when we align ourselves with his kingdom values, we experience his kingdom blessing in our lives. The opposite is also true. When we violate God's word and live outside of his design for us, we shouldn't be surprised when we're not experiencing his blessing. So we've been studying through uh, the, the, the parable, uh, not the parable, but the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is giving us the values of the kingdom of heaven so that we can experience his blessing on the earth. And so we're continuing this morning in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. You know, there are a lot of things in scripture that should challenge us, amen? When we read the Bible, it should challenge us. I know many times we read the Bible and we get encouraged. How many of you get encouraged when you hear the word? I get encouraged very, very many times. But we also need to come to the place where it challenges us. Scripture says his word is like a sword. It cuts, it divides. If all we ever get when we read the Bible is the warm tinglys and the feel goods, we're not reading it right because it's meant to cut at us. It's meant to hurt a little bit because he's trying to change us into kingdom people who reflect his values in the world that we are living in. And a lot of times we don't like to read the stuff that's hard. Isn't that true? We don't want to know what we don't want to know because it challenges us. But how many of you know what you don't know can kill you? Living in blissful ignorance is not very wise very often because what we don't know can have detrimental effects in our lives. About three weeks ago or four weeks ago, I went and got my colonoscopy. Yes, I am going there today. I went and got my colonoscopy, okay? And um, I wanted to know what was going on in my body so that I can deal with it. And I was talking to some of my friends and they're like, oh man, I don't want to do it. I don't want to know. I don't want to know what's going on. I don't want to go. Some of you don't go to the doctor ever. That's not wise, okay. But there's one friend who said, I don't want to know. I don't want to get a blood test. I don't want to know. If something's going on, I don't want to know. So I'm like, you just want to drop dead one day? He said, yeah, I guess so. I'm like, okay, uh, whatever. I want to know, okay. I want to know what's going on, what's growing that shouldn't be growing so that you can deal with it early. Because if you deal with things early, before it gets out of control, you can oftentimes live through those kinds of things. So I went and got my colonoscopy. And by the way, it's not as bad as you think, okay. It's actually, my experience was it was a lot better than going to the dentist. If you don't know what a colonoscopy is, some of you are looking at me all confused. I have a picture. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have a diagram I will show you with video. No, I don't. Google it later, not now, okay. But to find out what's going on in here, okay. Anyway, I'm so glad that I did. Because when I woke up from that colonoscopy, the first thing my doctor said to me was, I'm so glad that you came in. And of course, I was like, oh, woozy. But I'm so glad that you came in. Then a week later, did my follow-up. And she said, because I had to remove several polyps. And those polyps were precancerous. It's not that I had cancer. But if I didn't do it early, I could grow, it could have grown into cancer in a few short years. And I think there's a spiritual pa parallel to that. We often don't want to know. We don't want to see the stuff that could offend us and hurt us and, and make us feel bad. But we need to know what we don't want to know because those very things in a spiritual sense, just as in a physical sense, could kill us. It could kill God's blessing in our lives, could kill his, his presence in our lives if we're not careful. 
This passage that we're going to look at today is one of those that a lot of people don't like to read. They don't want to hear. They don't want to think about. But it could be the very thing that is, would kill the blessing of God in your life. So consider today's message your spiritual colonoscopy. Amen. And you don't need to fast ahead of time. You don't need to do a cleanse. You're here and it's going to happen. Just let it happen. Amen. <laughs> All right. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. All right. Let's see, what, let's see what scripture has to say. Jesus said this. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And by the way, this, this goes for women as well. It's not just speaking to the men. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that reveals to us what we need to see. God, help us to see with your eyes. Help us to hear with your ears. Holy Spirit, shine your light on the areas of our lives that we need to see today, that we may honor you and bring your presence and your blessing to this earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What's going on here? What is Jesus talking about? Well, obviously, he's addressing this thing called adultery. And if you don't know what adultery is, it's, it's any sexual relationship that you have with someone who's not your spouse. It's one of the Ten Commandments. God thought it so important that he put it in the Ten Commandments. God thought it so important that it was a capital offense in ancient Israel. That you would be put to death, okay, if you committed adultery. Now, I'm thankful that we don't live under that law now. But it was very important to God. And why was it important to God? Oftentimes we read the Bible and we just hear rules. Isn't that true? I mean, I look at this book sometimes, especially before when I was younger. I'm like, oh, that's a lot of rules, man. I don't know if I like that. And oftentimes we look at the Bible as rules that restrict us from experiencing joy in this life. But here's what I want us to see. It's not rules that are trying to restrict us from experiencing joy. It's God's word trying to protect us so that we can fully experience his blessing and his joy in our lives. It's not meant to restrict, it's meant to protect. And so what is he talking about here? And here's the big picture idea that I want us to walk away with. It's this. This is what Jesus is saying. God wants us to have blessed relationships. That's what he wants. He wants every one of us to have blessed relationships. And the context of those most blessed relationships is in the context of marriage and in a healthy family. Where mother and father are faithful to one another. Where children can grow up in the security of a nuclear family. That's the way God designed life to be. Now I know that that's fallen out of fashion in many ways in, this, in, the, in our western world. But that's the way that God designed it to be. And in fact science today shows that it's, it's more true than ever. Studies show, statistics show that one of the most important things for children to thrive in life. Almost no, no other thing than this that will ensure that they do well in school, stay off of drugs, stay away from crime. They earn more in their lifetime. It's not making sure that they play on all the sports teams. It's not making sure that they play musical instruments. It's not making sure that they go to the best schools. The single most important thing that ensures a child's success Numerous studies, and, and, and one of the top uh, psychologists in the state was here, and I was talking to her afterwards, reaffirmed this to me. It's a healthy family where mother and father are in the home, and they love one another. There's almost nothing more important to a child's life than that. Now, many of us, have, probably most of us in this room, maybe didn't grow up in that environment. And you know what it feels like to live in an insecure environment because father wasn't faithful to mom or vice versa or whatever, and the family broke apart. God designed us to thrive in relationships within the context of a healthy family. 
I didn't grow up in a, in, in, in a healthy family. My parents were divorced when I was really young, and I had to fight through that. It was really hard, as many of you have experienced and know. And I was determined when I got saved to do it God's way. I was determined to say, I don't want to have to pass on to my kids what was passed on to me. I want to do it God's way, and I'm going to fight for it. And it's not an easy thing to do, and you know that. And we shouldn't throw out God's ideals because it's hard. We shouldn't throw out God's ideals because we, it's, it's fallen out of fashion with the culture. We need to look at God's word and the instruction manual that he gave us in scripture and say, this is God's way and I'm going to fight like heck to make it work in my life. Can I hear an amen to that? It's a battle. It's a fight. And maybe you're here and you're saying, man, I've fallen short. I've made mistakes. You know what I love about God? There is no condemnation in Christ. And no matter how your past has been, you can start today to fight for God's word and fight for his blessing in your life, for your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. Because I don't know about you, I want to leave a legacy of blessing in my family line. Can I hear an amen to that? And maybe I didn't inherit one, and maybe you didn't inherit one, but you can start today creating a new legacy in your family and in your life. And so Jesus makes it real clear, hey, I want to remind you, the word says you shall not commit adultery. Adultery, again, is any sexual relationship that you have outside of marriage. And why is that important? Because sex was designed to be in the context of marriage between a husband and a wife. And so when we, when we violate that and we live outside of that, we, we're undermining the foundation of a blessed life and a blessed family. We're undermining it. You know? And again, I don't want you to just hear rules here. The, 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 the word does it, is not meant to put up walls to restrict us, right? If you remember, go back to that. Go ahead and throw up that diagram. I showed this a couple of weeks ago when we started this series. A lot of times when we read the word, we hear, we hear, we hear a wall, like rules, keeping me from experiencing all that I want to experience, keeping me from having multiple partners and just, you know, living the life. That's what the world would say. But in reality, those walls aren't meant to restrict us. They're meant to protect us. Go to the next one. It's meant to protect us from the stuff on the outside that the enemy is trying to bring in to undermine the blessing of God. Our media team put zombies in there. I didn't do that, but I think it's kind of cool anyway. Because the enemy is trying to bring stuff in to disrupt the foundation of your life and your family. To disrupt the blessing of God in your life. And so he gives us his word as a wall not to keep you in, but to keep stuff out. You, you lock things that are important, aren't there? Aren't, aren't, isn't that true? You don't put your socks in a drawer and lock them. You put your jewelry in a drawer and you lock it, right? You put your cash or things that are valuable to you. And so God is putting a wall around something that is valuable. Healthy relationships, healthy marriages, healthy families. And so he's, he reminds us, do not commit adultery. Not because he's trying to stop us from having fun. It's because he's trying to preserve the blessing and the joy that is meant to be with it between a husband and a wife. God wants us to have blessed relationships. See, the world says, what's the big deal? It's just sex. Just go ahead and, you know, whatever. It's just, it's just whatever, right? The reality is sex has similar effects on the brain, neuro, neuroscientists find out, as drugs does. It's addictive, right? So any, any, any sexual relationship, whether it's with a person or, or pornography or whatever it is, it has the same effects on your brain as drugs does. It's addictive. It was meant to be that way. It's meant to cause a husband and wife to be addicted to one another forever. This exclusive relationship, this exclusive experience should just be between one man and one woman that it glues you together. You're supposed to be addicted to your spouse. If you're sitting next to your spouse, tell them, I'm addicted to you, baby. <laughs> That's what's supposed to happen. But here's what the world does. Here's what the world does. It causes us to be addicted to all kinds of other stuff. To be addicted to all kinds of other behaviors. To be addicted to all kinds of other people and experiences. And then the addiction that we should have to our spouse that would become the foundation and the glue that holds our marriage together is weakened. 
Studies show that the more sexual partners a person has had outside of marriage, the weaker their ability to pair bond later on in life. And the pair bond is what a marriage is. It's supposed to be just one man, one woman for the rest of your life. And that's supposed to be the foundation that children grow up in. And so we got to guard that. And so what does Jesus say? We have to treat this seriously, as we'll see in just a few, few moments. Some, some, you know, single people will say, well, you know, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not married, so, you know. But the reality is, and here's what I've heard many, years, many times, too. Well, when I get married, then I'll stop, right? When I get married, then I'll stop fooling around, then I'll stop going to clubs, then I'll stop all this stuff. You don't just turn it off like a switch. Like any addiction, if you've ever been addicted to anything, whether it's drugs, alcohol, picking your nose, whatever it is, you don't just flip a switch and turn it off. Because it's ingrained in you. The neural pathways are, are developed that it takes time. It takes, and, and very often it persists for a long time. And that's why Jesus says, take this thing so seriously. Take this seriously because it will undermine the foundation of your family and the foundation of your life. And further, it, it hinders our intimacy with God because it's sin. It's sin. Even if you're saying, well, it's not hurting anybody, it'll hurt your relationship with God. Because sin hinders our relationship with God. So what do we do, okay? What do we do? Because we live in a world that bombards us with images every single day, that tempts us every single day. What do we do to guard the most important thing in our lives? Jesus tells us this, that blessed relationships begin by properly stewarding our desires. Properly stewarding our desires. This is what he said. But I, he said, you've heard it said not to commit adultery, but here's what I tell you. I tell you anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in their heart. The key there is in your heart. Our heart is the seed of our thought life, what we think about, what we ruminate. It's who we really are on the inside is our thought life, right? And what we, when we lust after someone who is not our spouse, in our heart, you say, well, it's just thoughts. It's not anything. That's what Jesus is actually concerned about. Because what we think about, we eventually will do. We eventually will act upon. So he says, you need to guard this thing called your heart. We need to guard what we think about. It's not, in other words, to him, it's not just the action, but it's what's going on in our minds. It's what's going on in our hearts that he wants to get at. It's not just the saying, well, I never actually slept with that person. Yeah, but you thought about it a lot. I want to deal with that. Or I never actually cheated on my spouse. Yeah, but you do other things that make you lust after people that is not your spouse. I need to deal with that, Jesus is saying in this passage. Why? Because it, our actions are precipitated by thoughts. So we need to guard those things, right? If, if you, there's, there's an interesting article in the Greek, in, in the language that the New Testament is written in Greek. That says it's not just about looking at a person lustfully, but it's also to cause someone to lust after you that Jesus is concerned about. It's not just looking at someone lustfully and thinking lustful thoughts about someone else, but it's doing things in a way that causes people to lust after you. He's concerned about that because we need to be guarding one another. Can I hear an amen to that? So this whole thing about, you know, modesty and all that, it's not about being prudish. It's about protecting what matters to us. Because at the end of the day, what, what should we care about? It's the people in our lives, the relationships in our lives. If you're, if you're a parent, you should care about the health of your children. If you're a grandparent, you should care about your grandchildren and your children as well. But therefore, we need to guard. Look at what Scripture says in uh, Proverbs chapter 4. Guard your heart, again, your thought life, above all else. Above anything that you do, guard your heart. Above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What we think about determines the course of your life. Everything that we do is precipitated by a thought. And the, when those thoughts persist, eventually we will act on them. And eventually those thoughts could turn into behaviors that are destructive to our lives. 
That's why we got to guard it. We got to guard it above all else. What do we look at? What do we think about? What's going on in our minds? We got to guard those things. One theologian said, you know, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head. Right? And the metaphor is you can't stop a thought from coming, coming by. Right? How many of you have ever had thoughts that you're like, whoa, <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. We all have. You can't stop the bird from, from, from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. Right? You can't stop the thought from coming in, but you can shoo it away when it comes in. And you can stop it from living there for a long time. If you've ever had a thought that you've thought about over and over again and you've ruminated on and you've fantasized about or whatever... You're letting that bird make a nest in your hair. And eventually, that could be destructive in our actions as well. But furthermore, Jesus is concerned about what goes on in our hearts. So what do we do? What do we do? Jesus tells us here. Therefore, we must cultivate healthy desires. Healthy desires. How do we do that? He tells us. Verse 29. Verse 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to stumble... Gouge it out and throw it away. Now, before you take out your spoons or your knives, okay, he is not advocating mutilation, okay? He is not. And I'll show you how. He's, he's being hyperbolic. He's exaggerating to make a point. He's trying to say, look, take this seriously, okay? If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Wow, this is pretty serious. Verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. What's he saying? Number one, guard your thought life by guarding what you look at. Guard your thought life by guarding what you look at. What do we look at? He says, take your right eye. The right eye is the dominant eye, right? Symbolic of what are, we, what are we allowing into our eyes? Pastor Norman used to always say, guard your eye gate. The gate is what you look at, what we allow into our lives. We have to guard that. What are we looking at? Because what we look at, we will think about, right? And what we look at repeatedly, we will think about repeatedly. And those thoughts will eventually turn into actions. But we have to guard what we look at. He's so serious about it that he says it's better for you to gouge it out and throw it away if your eye is causing you to stumble. If it's leading you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. And again, he is not advocating mutilation, okay? He is not. Because if he were, he left out some other pretty important body parts he could have mentioned, all right? But some of you didn't get that joke. That's probably better. That's okay. <laughs> gouge it out and throw it away. What is he saying? You got to take this seriously. It might hurt to remove things from your life that is leading you into sin. It might be difficult to do that, but you got to take some drastic action to protect yourself from this thing. What are you going to do? And all of us in our lives probably have some stuff that we need to cut out and throw away. Maybe it's people that we look at, images that we look at, types of movies or things that we watch that put images in our mind that sear them into our minds and then we think about it later on and it causes our behavior and our attitudes and our, our heart towards our spouse or other things to change. We have to guard that. And it might mean taking some drastic action. Yes, obviously pornography. we got to guard that against that. But it's not always just that. Sometimes it's just the stuff that we see on social media. I changed, uh, I changed my workout routine back in, in September. And I started doing these new workouts. So I started following these different fitness influencers that show you how to do certain workouts. And I started noticing on my, on my, on my social media feed just scantily clad women began to appear. I'm like, what is going on here? You know, like, I, I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know these people, you know. And, I, and I'm just like, where's this coming from? And I realized I started following these fitness people. And I guess Insta algorithm decided I probably want to see this, right. And so I had to start unfollowing these things. So I don't know what I'm doing in my workouts anymore. But I started unfollowing all these things because I'm, I don't want this showing up in my thing because I'm going to see it. 
Furthermore, I don't want my wife to think I'm following all kinds of stuff that I shouldn't be following because she has full access to my devices. She can see everything that I see. But the point is you got to cut some stuff off. And it may be hard. Some of us may need to cut people out. They keep on, I actually had to unfriend some people that would post stuff that is just like, I don't need to be seeing that. And you're saying, is it me? I don't know. Did you post stuff I shouldn't be seeing? <laughs> okay, but we, we got to be willing to cut off what needs to be cut off so that we're not led into temptation and sin. Because, again, this matters to God. This is so important to him. What do you need to cut out of your life? I have, I have a internet filters on my, my home router and on my phone. And you know one of the things I hate about those things? It slows your device down. Did you notice that, those of you that have that? It slows it down. Sometimes when I'm trying to load a web page, it's slow or whatever. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hassle. It's an inconvenience, but it's worth it. Sometimes you got to cut off something, and it's going to make it a little more inconvenient in your life, but it's worth it. Because I don't want to be looking at stuff, and I don't want my kids to be looking at stuff that they shouldn't be seeing. And somebody would say, well, you know, you know your kids, gotta, you know, they got to they gotta deal with it at some point. You know, they got to they gotta make those choices on their own at some point. Yes, they do. But while they're young, their brains aren't fully formed to make those decisions. So as a parent, i got to make the decision for them. You know, one day they're going to have to make a decision about not using cocaine. That doesn't mean I let them practice in my house with cocaine on the table. When we allow stuff into our home... In a foolish way, we're, we're putting stuff before kids that shouldn't be put there. And so we need to guard against that. we got to guard ourselves. we got to guard the people in our lives. Because, again, the enemy would love nothing more than to undermine and erode the foundation of healthy relationships in our lives. What do you need to cut off today? What do you need to cut off from your life that is opening us up for thoughts that are going to lead us into sin? Maybe it's people. Maybe it's social media is now a crazy thing in our lives. Technology. What do you got to do? to guard what's most valuable. It's going to take a sacrifice, but all of us need to make it if we want the blessing of God in our lives. The second thing he said is cut off your right arm. (laughs) If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. And the right arm or the right hand is symbolic of how we interact in the world. The eye is symbolic of what we look at, but the hand is how we interact with the world. How do you interact that needs to change? When I was the college pastor, I had a guy who I was discipling. You know, he would tell me, you know, I've, I'm fighting lust. You know, I'm fighting temptation. But I don't know why I, I don't know why I get so tempted when I go to the club. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed at that. The first service was like, huh? Well, I said, well, maybe you need to stop going to the club. Because last I checked, people aren't exactly modest at the club. You know what I'm saying? All kind of stuff. Hanging out. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't be in a situation like that and think that you're not going to be tempted. You're foolish if you think you are. You're a me- you're, 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 God wired you to be attracted to certain things, but you've got to guard against that if you want God's blessing in your life. If you want his best, you've got to guard against that. And so maybe you've got to cut that off. All, but all my friends go, okay, well, you, it's going to be painful. Cutting off, your, cutting off your hand would hurt, last I checked, right? You gotta, it's going to be painful, but it's meant to protect you for the blessing that God wants to bring. Because, again, don't think that if you're cavorting with all kinds of other women, that one day when you get married, that it's all going to stop. It may stop for a little while. And you all know this. If you don't deal with that, we tend to wander over time. Isn't that true? You gotta, we got to deal with it. we got to cut off what we need to cut off so that we can experience God's best and his blessing in our lives. You know, what is that for you? What do you need to cut off? Maybe it is the social media. Maybe it is certain relations. Maybe it is going to certain places. Maybe it is doing certain things. What is it? Maybe it's that coworker that you spend a little too much time talking to. Maybe it's that friend that, what is that for you? We all need to do that. 
And then lastly, as we get ready to close, the motivation behind this again is we're called to be faithful to Christ just as Christ has been faithful to us. Sin, first of all, is against God. When we allow our hearts to drift, when we allow ourselves to lust and to look at things that we're not supposed to look at, we're first of all sinning against God and don't think that that doesn't have a detrimental effect to our relationship with him. It does. It does. But Christ has been faithful to us and he calls us to be faithful back to him. Now, he says this really interesting thing after the cut out your eye and your hand thing. He says, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, this is where some interpreters have, have taken that to mean, well, sexual sin has a unique ability to throw you to, throw you to hell. If you, if you look at someone, you're going to hell. Okay, I don't think that's what this passage is saying. Because, and here's the reason why, we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Amen? That's the gospel. And we're not condemned by what we do. We are condemned by our either acceptance or rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. All of us have sinned. If it was not to, if, if you go to hell because you look at someone lustfully, we're all in big trouble, amen? Because how many of us have never done that? Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. And I've experienced this as a pastor over many years. Almost nothing causes a person to turn away from God and reject God than this area of sex, than this area of sexual lust and all of that. I've seen way too many young men, as I've discipled young men, say, you know what, I'm not willing to change, so I'm going to walk away from Jesus. I'm not willing to sleep, stop sleeping with my girlfriend. I'm not willing to break off that relationship. I'm not willing to stop having that affair. And so they walk away from God. That's what will send them to hell. Not the affair per se. It's the rejection of Jesus that has to happen for you to keep in that affair or to keep living in that way. Almost nothing has the power to pull us away from Jesus like this area of sexual sin. And that's why we need to deal with it at the thought level. So that it doesn't get to the point where that little polyp that was precancerous turns into full-blown cancer and it's irreversible. If we deal with it early in the thought incipient stage, you can cut that thing out and you're fine. And you'll move on with life. But we have to deal with it there so that it doesn't ever get to the point where it drags us away from God. And drags us away from what really matters. It is better for you to cut that thing off early than for that thing to grow, metastasize, and kill you later on. What is that in your life that you need to cut off? That's why Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Our culture says to, to indulge your flesh. The Bible says to deny your flesh. The Bible says to indulge your desires and give in to your desires. The Bible says, no, 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 deny your flesh, deny yourself. Because that's what Jesus did for us. He denied his flesh when he was beaten and nailed to that cross. He denied his desires when he didn't want to have to go through it. He denied his lusts all his life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for us. And that's what Easter is all about. And he calls us to this blessed life, but it's going to involve denying our flesh. It's going to involve taking up our cross. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. We're not going to do this perfectly. And no one in this room has done this perfectly, myself included, okay? None of us has. But that doesn't mean we throw it out. It means we fight like heck. It means we fight like heck with the Holy Spirit's power, with our brothers and sisters arm in arm so that we can win and succeed together. Can I hear an amen to that? If you're here, and I know very many of us in this room, maybe you're starting to feel a little condemned in this place. Can I tell you, there's no condemnation in Christ. If you've made mistakes in your past and you've failed, if you've even had affairs, there is grace that will cover that if you repent. 
If you repent and turn from your sin, the grace of God washes that away. And you can start today to fight for holiness and fight for purity and fight for your marriage. We'll stand with you. That's what the church is for. Amen. So there's no condemnation in Christ. If you're failing right now and you're, or you're struggling right now in this area of your thought life, no condemnation. Fight like heck. Get connected with other brothers if you're a guy. Get connected with other sisters if you're a girl. Get them to pray for you, talk about this, and let's fight together so that we will win together. Jesus wouldn't tell us something that's impossible. He wouldn't command something that it was impossible for us to do. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful like cutting out your eye and cutting off your hand. It's going to be hard, but you can do it. And you can win. And you can set up yourself for a blessed life according to his word. And you can start a new legacy in your family. Maybe your family before you was rocked by divorce, rocked by adultery, rocked by all kinds of sexual whatever stuffs. And maybe you grew up as a consequence of that, fighting through all of that. That story can end with you. And a new story can begin. What are you going to do? It's up to us. It's up to us to say, I am not going to continue in the path of sin and destruction in this world. I'm going to create a new legacy for my kids and my grandkids to grow up in. Can I hear an amen to that? God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives us the power to deny our flesh so that we can experience God's blessing. And by the way, God intended for us to enjoy sex in marriage. You know that? It's not just for procreation. I know some of you got really uncomfortable right there. But he intended it to be a beautiful thing that bonds husband and wife together. He wants us to enjoy it in the right way. What do you need to cut off today so that you can experience God's blessing in your life, in your generation and in the generations to follow? When we deny ourselves, when we deny our flesh in the way that is ungodly, we experience God's blessing. But also, we become a powerful picture of the gospel to people all around us. Because just as Jesus Christ denied his flesh to love and serve us, he calls us to do that as well. And when we do, it's a powerful picture of God's love to the world. Because the rest of the world, they're just trying to, they're just trying to, they're just whatever. There's no, there's no rules. There's no whatever. It's all about you. It's all about self-gratification and pleasing, you know, yourself, whatever you want. And when we do it God's way, it's a powerful picture of the gospel. And I want to close with this story. Because a powerful example of this, one of my favorite ones, of the self-denial and self-sacrifice, dying to your flesh to love somebody else, is the story of Ian and Larissa Murphy. I last shared this story about four or five years ago. And um, I want to revisit it again for those of you who may not have heard it. But to me, it's a powerful story of not living to gratify my flesh, but to love and serve God and love and serve the person that God has placed in my life, which is ultimately what we're doing when we obey this passage of scripture. I want you to take a look up, take a look up on screen as we revisit their story together as we come to a close. Take a look at this. Ian and I first met in 2005 at college and had a blast for 10 months getting to know each other. And I was looking through and I found one of my favorite pictures, which I think was actually taken right before his accident. He set up a camera on his, his tripod. And it's just a classic Ian face that to me sums up who he is. We'd been dating for 10 months and he was working an extra job for his dad and he was on his way to work near Pittsburgh. And we got a phone call that he had been in an accident and we didn't know if it was when he got to work or on his way. And so we got down to Pittsburgh and I was just praying the whole time in the car that it wouldn't be his brain. After being at the hospital for a few hours, we found out that it was, and he had been in brain surgery for a few hours. 
Ann had suffered a traumatic brain injury. God totally spared his life. Uh. One night, he was failing four out of five brain activity tests, and the next morning, he was doing well, and his brain was starting to respond again. I moved in with his family after the accident, so I was really involved in his therapy and just did whatever I could to make his life fun. We'd go out on dates, and looking back, it's weird because he couldn't talk and he couldn't eat. So we probably looked like complete weirdos being on dates, but we had a blast, and I just talked to him all the time. I knew that before Ian's accident, he was very serious about marriage and was ring shopping, so I knew where he was, and that helped me so much. After he couldn't talk, I knew that he loved me, and I knew where he wanted the relationship to go because we were dating very intentionally. This is our board of gratefulness, and we encourage anybody who comes in to write a note of something they're thankful for. It could be really small. Mine is just Saturday mornings, and it's just a good way that we've found to be just practicing gratefulness. And Ian, I think half of yours say <laughs> my wifey, <laughs> which is pretty cool. <laughs> We decided that we couldn't really consider marriage as an option until Ian was able to communicate. But if he could communicate with me, then we could have a marriage, knowing it would be really different. But as long as Ian could talk to me, then we could make it work. So once Ian began communicating, it became a little bit more of an option. And then we just kind of watched Ian progress. Uh, Hi, husband. Uh, I don't be. How are you? Uh, yeah, yeah. What? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How was your day? Yeah. Yeah. We're able to love each other with, I think, a more Christ-like love because of Ian's disability and just understand that picture a little bit better than if you were healthy. Yeah. Agree? Yes. What about God enables you to have, have a happy marriage? You know. What? He's awesome. He's awesome? Yeah. Amen. Yeah, you can clap to that. All of us long to be loved like that, with an unconditional love that doesn't fade because we can't give to someone what, what they deserve. Ian will never be able to give Larissa the love that she gives to him. He's probably going to be basically paralyzed for the rest of his life. And all of us want to be loved unconditionally like that. And all of us should desire to love someone else unconditionally like that. That doesn't come in a moment. It comes as we cultivate in ourselves a denying our flesh, righteous desires, not allowing our hearts to be attached to all these other things so that we can give someone unconditional love the way that Larissa loves Ian.
doesn't happen in a moment. It happens as we guard our hearts. It happens as we guard our desires. It happens as we train ourselves to live self-sacrificially for others. The world would say, man, that's foolish. Why would you put yourself in a situation, Larissa, to love a man who will never be able to give you what you've given to him? Why would you do that? Gratify your flesh. Live for yourself. They weren't married after his accident. Move on. But the gospel says, no, I'm not here to gratify my flesh. I'm here to love and serve someone else. And Larissa has a powerful opportunity now to demonstrate that every day. And I guarantee you, it takes a dying to her flesh every single day. So whatever area of our lives right now where our eyes or our hands are leading us into sin, we need to begin to cut that off so that we can love someone unconditionally, so that we can give the love that they deserve and we're called to give. Ultimately, it's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He loved us unconditionally when we could do nothing for him. And in a response to that love, we say, Lord, help me. Help me to die to my flesh as well, to love someone else the way that you've loved me. Ian and Larissa now, they have a child together, and he continues in his recovery, but it's still a fight. It's still a fight. But when you read their blog and follow them on social media, you see, man, there's, there's, there's hope there. There's blessing there, even in the midst of a challenging time. What do we need to do in our lives today so that we can love the way that God has called us to? Will you bow your heads with me as we come to a close? Father, we thank you for your word. First of all, that reveals to us your amazing love for us, that you gave of your flesh. You didn't indulge your flesh, you gave of your flesh to save a sinner like me. God, thank you for loving me first. And now help me, God, help us together to die to our flesh, to cut off the things that need to be cut off, to adjust the things that need to be adjusted so that we can love you and love the people in our lives with that same unconditional, self-sacrificial love. Help us, God. None of us have done this perfectly. All of us have failed in different ways. But today is a new day. And we choose today to fight like heck for your word and your blessing in our lives and for others. We love you today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.